Welcome to this week's message from Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. We have lots to be thankful for, but before I get to that, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Stefan Dirksen, for those who don't know me, uh, because I'm not up here all the time like my brother, our lead pastor, Pastor Chris. And what my job here is, I am the discipleship pastor. So today, you'll hear, just like last time I preached, I talked about abiding in Christ, and my passion is to talk about discipleship and things, basic things that we as Christians need to be discipled in to have fruitful and successful walks here on this earth, but also, more importantly, fruitful lives for the kingdom. And that's what I'm passionate about, so you'll see that in lots of the things, tools that I write and the things that I do is very discipleship bent. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, something that's right in line with that. But before I get to the topic, I just want to list off a few things because it's Thanksgiving weekend, isn't it? And I think sometimes the best way, Candy did a great job. She talked about gratitude being this wonderful strategy, and I agree with that. It is a strategy and a tool and a gift that we have been given to combat lots of the struggles that we go through in this life. And it's also a good motivator because when we receive, we're more likely to what? Give. Because that's the natural outworking of receiving, or it should be anyways. Uh, but look at the food and clothing drive. So let's just talk about that just for a brief moment. Food and clothing drive, we have had people take off work to come and drive hours to be here because it's so worth it what they're getting here. That's incredible. And if you're one of those, and if you're here and you're thinking, I can't wait to come, don't feel bad. We are happy. That's what, you know what? Read Acts. And you'll find that's what the early church was like all the time. Those that had plenty gave to those that had less. And that's how it was. And it wasn't a bad thing. It was a good thing. So that everyone had. That's what the early church was built on. Generosity like that. Community. Love. And that's a wonderful thing. We have that here. Food and clothing drive. Um, we get to be a part of that. I think that's pretty special. Uh, we, were, we were enjoying dropping off a bunch of clothes. And I always like kind of rifling through my stuff and seeing what, like, what can we give? Like, what is... What can we give away? What can we bless somebody else with? And what, a, what an exciting thing to partner uh, with God with and to partner with each other. But besides that, and I'll just briefly go through a few things here, do you realize how incredible our kids' ministry is? If you're, you know, maybe you're not totally sure. <laughs> but our kids' ministry, our kids get discipled here at Southland. You know that you can't, that's take, it's easy to take that for granted because you don't get that in every church in the West. And I've had that comment. It's, I'm amazed that you guys don't just do babysitting. You're actually very intentional. You pray with kids. You teach them things. They're getting discipled in our kids' ministries, and that's pretty incredible. We should be grateful for that. We have cell ministries that make a big church feel small and make it feel close and tight-knit because we have connections here. Serving within the body, we have 1,600 of the very best volunteers that you could ever ask for. I would, I would dare say that 1,600 of the best volunteers on the planet. Many of you are sitting in here, and it's true. Right? We have a church that loves to give. I think that's great. Empower, hearing God, personal ministry set free. How many people in here have been impacted by one or more of those? Yeah, exactly, right? We have so many things to be thankful for here at Southland, let alone the camp. I know they highlighted that a bit just a moment ago. I mean, that's incredible. Talk about discipleship again. Kids are having fun. Kids are actually finding that they enjoy being with God, being within God, the community, being at church, being at camp. We have a lot to be thankful for, and I didn't even touch on our, our uh, teaching here on the weekends and the worship. We have bar none, I think, the best teacher. Sorry, Chris, hope that doesn't make you feel awkward, but we have the best teacher ever. That guy takes a verse, and I bug him about this all the time, but he takes a verse, and we have three months of teaching, and we're all blessed. And the thing is, you leave every week, but do you not feel full? 
Every week you feel drawn into the presence of God. You feel full. You get this whole idea of you start understanding the context of Scripture more, but at the same time you get the Father's heart behind it, and it's absolutely incredible. We have so much to be thankful for here at Southland. And you know, I get to be a part of Church Renewal as well, and I get to mentor uh, pastors, and that's a great joy of mine. I actually love being a part of Church Renewal. And when you compare our church to other churches, and then you compare it with the topic that we're talking about today, and that's the Great Commission, I would say we're probably doing better at completing this than almost any church, probably any church that I've seen. Now, there's a side of that that feels good. Doesn't it feel good to compare yourself to somebody else and feel like you're doing something and you're making it? Not that we want to, you know, do it at their expense, but it feels good to feel like we're doing something, we're getting there. And that's not all bad, but I would challenge us this morning that we are not to compare ourselves with other churches or other people, but we are to compare ourselves with God's Word. And whatever it says in there, that's, that's the standard by which we are called up to live. That's the standard. And I believe at Southland, we have started really, really strong, really strong. And we're doing lots, and I think that's great. But if we pause just for a brief moment and look at even the past five years in our country, and the things that have happened since March 2013, Bill 18, and you'll remember that. Some of you will, some of you won't. Uh, but most of us remember Bill 18, and we remember being in the newspaper and Pastor Ray being in there and that, that ugly picture they had of him, the caption of the video, and it looked like he was snarling, and they thought we hated a whole people group. And that was the first time we ever felt like, could our freedoms ever be taken away? Right? The security that we've had in our bubble felt like it might be, it might be eroding, and for the first time we could be facing a new reality. And, and then it kind of went away, didn't it? Isn't that how it feels sometimes? It kind of goes away, and we just get going on with our lives, and, and it feels like everything's back to normal. But since then, June 2016, the trustees clashed over LGBTQ talks within schools. What our kids are getting is very different than what it was. Uh, in the same month, uh, Bill C-14 passed that allowed medically-assisted suicide. July of 2016, we had our first gay pride parade, and that's continued on since. Winter of 2017, the suburban job grants were told that they were only to be given to those who agreed with abortion. And now, just recently, the Supreme Court ruled against TWU, saying that their covenant, their statement of beliefs and practices that they were getting people to sign was harmful to an entire people group. And my only point in saying this isn't to... Right? Oh, you're trying to make us scared. No, but I am trying to say we need to have our eyes open to the reality that's facing the church. And some of the freedoms that we've enjoyed for many, 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 many years, and for some of you, your entire lives, for all of us, our entire lives, the freedoms we've experienced may not always be there. And we can't take it for granted. And this is not a message on fear, but this is a message for encouragement. Because Jesus has a call on our lives to go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations. Let's look at the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I love that last part, and behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. We're given just this absolutely incredible promise at the end, followed or, or preceded by this famous uh, piece of direction and, and a piece of direction for the entire church, a call to the entire church. He said, this is your purpose. This is your purpose to go, therefore. And that's where we're going to start. We're going to start with the go. And before I really define, because I, want, I don't want you thinking this isn't just for you. I know sometimes, especially with, uh, you know, when I pick something as basic as the Great Commission, 
We all say, oh yeah, we all know the Great Commission, right? Go therefore, make disciples of the nations. Yeah, something about teaching them to do something. I'm not quite sure, but yes, this is good, right? We all love the Great Commission, and it's for missionaries, and it's for evangelists, or maybe it's for one, uh, op, you know, one, one individual I heard that, that opposed this idea that it's for everyone and said it was written actually just to the 11 apostles that were there with Jesus. And that's actually, if you look at the context of Matthew 28, he was with 11 disciples then. And he did tell them to go. But I want you just to highlight uh, verse 20 there. And verse 20 says, Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And we get a clue here that he's not just talking to 11. He's not just talking to a few. He's talking to generations of believers that would come after those 11. And he's saying, I'm, I'm, I will be with you always till the end of the age. Meaning, this call, this purpose that I am giving the church, it is to stand right until the end of the age, and I'll be with you all the steps along the way. It's an incredible promise. But besides that, if you're not convinced by the verse at the end, uh, all you need to do is read the rest of the New Testament. And if you read the rest of the New Testament, what you are going to find is a church that not only believed in the Great Commission, a church that lived the Great Commission. They did it. They reached out to all people groups that were in their area and beyond. Some would go out and some would stay within their own community. Many would stay within their own community. And it says they were reaching out to others with generosity, acts of love, teaching them about the good news. And it says daily sometimes people were being added uh, to their numbers. Absolutely incredible. That's what the early church looked like. And I'm not saying we will look exactly like the church in Acts, although wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't you love it if every week we could celebrate new Christians being added to the church? I mean, I would love that. But I'm not saying that every church needs to look exactly like that. That's not the point of the message. But I am saying we should be able to see not only in a church, but we should be able to see in the individuals how each person is going and living for mission and responding to this call. That is a call to all believers. So we're not all called to be a missionary in another country. In fact, there may be none of you in here that are called to that, although there may be a couple. But most of you are going to be called to a different mission field. And it's a mission field that is in Steinbach and probably a lot in Grunthal. <laughs> I, just, oh, I had to. Just kidding. I love a lot of people from Grunthal. <laughs> I should have just focused on that one. It's not even Steinbach. It's Grunthal. We're all going there after the service. No, I'm just kidding. The point is, though, we don't have to go to all nations. We have people right here. You ever thought about this? I mean, many of you will, will relate to this. When I was a kid... It was weird when there was someone in my class that didn't know Jesus. Like, it was weird. Now, we didn't have a class full of people who were going gangbusters for Jesus, which is actually our young people now. They're actually going hard after Jesus. So it wasn't that. But it was just everyone kind of believed. So when you found someone that didn't believe, it was strange. It seemed weird. What do you mean you don't believe in Jesus? Right? It seemed awkward. But our kids aren't living in that reality. That bubble has long since been popped. There's many kids in their classes that do not know Jesus. And there's some that even outwardly oppose him. So we're not, we're not in that day anymore. We have a mission field in our communities. We have a mission field in some of our marriages. I shouldn't laugh at that. But in our families, in our communities, in our schools, in our job places. How about we just in our everywhere? And anywhere, there is a mission field that is dying for Christians to stand up and answer the call. You ever thought of, I want you just to think about it this way. How many people here know somebody, strong or loose connections, so that could be family, friends, at work, that isn't saved, that doesn't know Jesus? Is there anybody here that knows? 
Okay, so we got about 80%, maybe higher. So I'll say a safe estimate, without being exaggerating, was 80% of you in here know unsaved people. Now, you probably already know this, but I just want to make sure that we all understand this. Because I raised my hand, and I, I could think of four names right off the top of my head. And if I thought about it long enough, I'm sure I could think of more. Jesus didn't create a plan B. There's no plan B. If we don't answer the call, there is no plan B. He left, said it's better that he goes because we were to become his body that could span across regions and wouldn't be confined to one ge geographical place in, in, in time. But if we don't answer the call, if we aren't his hands and feet, if we don't go, then who will? And I think when you look at the, the changing of the, of the age, and you see the change of the opinion towards the church, and the rise of lost individuals, I think now is the time for us to go and to take this call seriously. We have to go and make disciples of the nations. That's our call. Now, I want you just to consider something here. Would you agree with me that Jesus never does anything on accident? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree with that too. He's never, he doesn't make a mistake. There's no accidents. We better hope that anyways, right? Because otherwise we might have been an accident. But we know that. Because even before we were born, he already knew our names. There's no accidents. So he already knew all of the days of your head. I was just reviewing scripture this morning and I was reviewing that all of the hairs on your head are numbered. He is incredibly intentional and purposeful with everything that he does. So if we can agree that he doesn't make a mistake and there are no accidents, would you agree that everything that Jesus does is for a purpose? Okay, so let's take that to a logical conclusion. If life here was just about me, then wouldn't it make sense the second I gave my life to him if Jesus would have taken me home to be with him for eternity? If it's just about me and Jesus, wouldn't it actually make sense, more sense than to leave us here, for him to just take us home and for us to be with him for eternity? I think so. So then couldn't we conclude then, if Jesus does everything with a purpose, if he has left us here, he has left us here for a purpose. And if he has left us here for a purpose, then discovering and fulfilling that purpose should be of our utmost importance. And what I mean by that is this. When we look at the things in Scripture, when it's saying this is important, things like generosity or going out and making disciples or abiding in Christ, when we see going and loving your neighbor as yourself, when we see these commands that are clearly found in the Word of God, these aren't things that we look at our lives and try to juggle and say, I wonder, like, how do I fit these in here? How do they fit? How can I put this in here and make it work? If we're here for purpose, then discovering and fulfilling that purpose is of utmost importance. That means it's at the center of what we do. Everything else we do is actually coming out of that. It's being influenced by the center. And we don't have forever to get it right. And I'm not all about doom and gloom, and I don't wake up in the morning with fear in my heart about the changing of the day. I don't. I have a lot of joy and anticipation for it, actually, because I think God is going to do a great work. As things get darker, I think we're going to see the light shine brighter. And I'm excited because I'm passionate, and I believe very strongly that we're going to be a big part of that. We were just saying it's a big family. We are a big family, and I'm excited to do it with my family. So this isn't a message to beat anyone over the head. Like I said, I think we're actually doing this already to a measure. 
But I think we need to do more. I think the call that I felt in prayer this week was finish strong, Southland. Finish strong. I'm not saying we're at the end, but we need to keep the end in sight and finish strong. Right? Starting off in a sprint doesn't mean you'll always end sprinting. So we've got to finish strong. All right. Great Commission was a call to go and reach others for the kingdom. Now, I just want to make sure we understand. Is it bad to enjoy life? No. Is it bad to have fun? No. You guys are very good. Yeah, the Saturday crowd wasn't sure if I was tricking them, I think. I'm like, you can say no. It's, it's actually, I'm, I'm not, there's no baiting here. Is it bad to spend money on yourself and on your family and to spend time on, your, on yourself and family? No, it's not bad. So I'm not saying any of that. So please don't hear me saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you either should be going door to door evangelizing or you should be tearing up all night, not sleeping, praying all night, or you should be in your closet with your Bible open, memorizing. I'm not saying that. And scripture doesn't say that. But I am saying this, if all of your decisions, you know, when you listen in prayer and when you are making decisions for your life, if all of them revolve around you and your family and your own personal satisfaction, that should be a red flag. Are you hearing me? You're hearing what I am saying and what I'm not saying. I do lots of things with my family. I love my family. I do lots of things for them. But Jesus has to be at the center of it all. And what he tells us to do and what he's asking of us has to be at the center. It has to be influencing everything we do, including my family time. And then we should enjoy rest and Sabbath and delight. These are all gifts from God, absolutely. And I'm not talking about that today, but those are good things. So how does this look? You know, there's many examples that I can give, and I'll try to give you a few throughout the message. But uh, I'll, I'll pick on our board chair a little bit, Irv Funk. And Brad Squires pointed out that it was good that I said something positive about him because I was bugging him the other day. So I try to balance that out, right? Good with negative. Anyways, there's lots of good things to say about him, and negative. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> lots of good things to say about Irv. You know what I've noticed over eight years of knowing Irv and talking to him? I've had many conversations over that span of time. Um, as I think our relationship started off when he was volunteering in personal ministry, and now he's a cellular and we know each other. But you talk to him for 10 or 15 minutes, at least my experience with him, 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and you know what I've found consistently is this. Within 10, 15, 20 minutes, at some point, regardless of our topic, I am going to start to hear about what God is doing in his life personally. At some point, it's going to happen. It happens every time. We can start with joking, and somewhere along the line, it ends up with what God is doing in his life personally. And you know where it goes naturally from there? And then how, is God, is, and then how God is leading him to reach out and touch others. And the guy does some radical things. I mean, you think, well, maybe he has time for it. I don't have time. He's a marketplace leader. He doesn't have a lot of time. He volunteers here. He's a board chair, and he also is a cell leader. He doesn't have lots of time, but he's made sure his life isn't so busy that he doesn't have time to listen to Jesus. And he'll be in his truck driving to to somewhere to meet with someone, and the Lord will say, share this story, or I want you to pray for them. And he does, and then God does big things. Doesn't that sound good? Yeah, that sounds good. There's lots of stories like that in Southland, but we can all have a story like that. And maybe we won't all have the same giftings as Irv Funk. I'm not even suggesting that. I'm not suggesting that it looks the same for everyone. It doesn't. If you're a mom, a stay-at-home mom, it's going to look very different for you than Irv. It's going to look very different. And there's all sorts of different examples I can give on that. But the way we discover what his purpose is and how we can live for mission is we need to have time to be listening so we can respond in obedience. So... We can all listen, trust, obey. Scripture says we're made to give and receive life. We're made for this. Gen- Genesis 12, 2 to 3, God tells Abram that he, will be a, that he is going to bless him. And he did bless him. And then he said that he will be a blessing to others. 
So Abraham was told that he was going to be blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. But we don't just find that sentiment in the Old Testament. It's all throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. It's everywhere. Constantly we're told that we are given so that we can, we, we receive so that we can give. Constantly throughout Scripture. Even things like freedom, we're told, was given for the opportunity for others. Look at this. You were called to freedom, brothers. Now I'll pause there for a moment. If you go just a few verses before that, I had someone quote that to me. It's for freedom that Christ has set you free. And the point that this individual was making is that Jesus just sets you free. It's all for you. It's just for yourself. And I said, read the whole context of the whole passage. It's not where it ends. Yes, for freedom. He loves you, so he wants to set you free, but he has a purpose in it. Look at this. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Look at that. Your freedom. You think, God can't use, I, I'm too broken. You ever thought that? I'm too broken. I can't be used by God. How can I touch anybody else? You know that he even wants to redeem your struggles and your sin and use it so that you, or empower you so that you can use that to go and bless others. So that you can use even that to redeem and to reach out to others. I think that's incredible. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4, we see the same thing written here, but differently. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. Don't you love that? You seeing the balance there? Blessed be the God of all, our Lord and Father of all comfort, right? Who comforts us in our affliction so that we can comfort others in any of their affliction. He has a purpose for everything you go through. I find these verses incredibly hopeful when you're going through a difficult time. Incredibly hopeful. Because your struggles can be redeemed and used. There is nobody in here that is giving Jesus a yes that cannot be used by him to reach out to others. Not a single person in here. And I am not saying that it looks the same. We're not all going to stand with a mic. But there is no one in here giving Jesus a yes that cannot be used. Doesn't matter what your struggle is. Doesn't matter what your sin struggle is. Doesn't matter, okay? Now, let's look. I, I always love this and we don't need you know, studies to kind of back up what Scripture says. We're called to both receive life and to give life. That's how we were made. What they're finding now with the different studies is they're discovering the power of actually giving of yourself and putting others first. And they're finding that this whole idea of serving others and doing good for others is actually having powerful psychological and health benefits. So I'll read you just a couple of studies. I'll breeze through them. Again, I know I will quote some names. You might say, hey, but doesn't he also... Don't worry about that. I'm quoting names. I'm not saying these guys are all... Solid Christians, okay? Are we all clear on that? Yeah, okay, good. Perfect. Then I'll just go ahead and, and quote some research. Stephen Post, some of the guys I'll quote aren't even, aren't even Christians. Stephen Post writes this in Why Good Things Happen to Good People. In a study of 132 patients with multiple sclerosis, MS, researchers formed two groups, one of people who met weekly to learn coping skills and another of people who met monthly and received support from another person with MS. So you see, they're trying to see which is better. Which, which do people or MS sufferers, what do they like, benefit more from? The surprise finding was that neither group fared as well as did the five MS sufferers who had been trained to offer support. That was the surprise. That was the third group that they weren't even necessarily studying. But they found a third group in the study, the five that were trained to help others. The study found that giving support improved health more than receiving it. Did you hear that? Giving support 
improved health more than receiving it. Depression, self-confidence, and self-esteem improved markedly. The main researcher said these people had undergone a spiritual transformation of sorts that gave them a refreshed view of who they were. Rob Mall writes in his book, What Your Body Knows About God, caring for others brought healing to the caregivers. I have talked to countless people who have volunteered here in the church or have worked to reach out to others who have reported the exact same thing. Maybe not health benefits, but emotional benefits, absolutely yes. But there's more. I'm not done reading the studies because I love studies. Uh, giving in high school predicted good physical health and mental health late into adulthood. They found that over... Now, this was a study of only 200 individuals, but they followed them since the 1920s. And those, the big difference in health and longevity, in long, uh, sorry, health and longevity over 50 years was uh, their giving as a youth, so in their teens. They said it affected boys, it seemed like more than girls, but it affected both. Giving significantly reduced mortality in later life. In this study from Doug Oman of the University of California at Berkeley, 2,000 individuals over age 55 were studied for five years. Those who volunteered for two or more organizations, you following? Two or more organizations had an impressive 44% lower likelihood of dying. The only activity that had slightly higher effect was to stop smoking. Some of you smokers are thinking, oh, so I just need to volunteer and then I can, I can kind of put that one to the side, right? <laughs> so it'll also keep me alive. <laughs> well, do both and you'll be even better, right? All right. Generous behavior reduces adolescent depression and suicide risk. Again, that one was found to be more prevalent in, in young men than young women, but it was still found on both sides. Reducing anxiety, reducing depression and suicide risk. This next one I really enjoyed because I don't think it was a Christian stat, but it was, it was done and they found something with church-going people. 976, uh, University of Michigan, were following 976 churchgoers over a period of three years. What they found was those that offered social support to others reduced their anxiety over their own economic situations when they were under economic stress. So giving seemed to be alleviate anxiety. And then I'll just give you a couple more and then I'm done. Then I'll move on from here because I just want you to get it. We're made for mission. You are not made for yourselves. You know, we get that idea that we're made for our best life now. That is entirely false. It's not about you. We're made to go out and to give to others. And we're just finding, I mean, science is just backing up what Scripture has always told us. I made you for a reason, for a purpose. And you function best when you live for that purpose. Giving to others increases, long, uh, increases, increases longevity, although receiving the same kind of help did not. Psychologist Stephanie Brown of the University of Michigan spent five years studying 423 older couples. After adjusting for age, gender, physical, and emotional health, Brown found that those who provided significant support to others were more than twice as likely to remain alive in that five-year period. These surprising findings ruled out other factors like personality, health, mental health, and marital status. Fascinating, isn't it? Those that provided significant support to others. It was increasing longevity. Now, this message, again, is not about increasing our time here on earth. It's not, it's not about that. But it's just about answer, calling the church to stand up and to answer the call to go out. And I'm just trying to support what science is just finding that Scripture has always said, that we're actually engineered for this. You know, many of us look for satisfaction in this life, and I get it. I mean, don't we all want to feel good? I do. I don't want to feel stressed all the time. I want to feel good. I want to feel happy. What we don't realize, though, is a lot of the satisfaction, this is what studies are finding, the satisfaction, the peace that we're longing for is actually found more when we go out than when we focus in. That's what I'm getting at. So we're blessed to be a blessing. 
Jesus calls us to go to reach out to our family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, classmates, and we can do this in many different ways. You know what, I would love to see our, like, we had 80% raise their hand about in here, and about that. it's similar in all the services that I've preached in so far. Can you imagine if we could, as a church, you know, in ourselves, begin to pray for them, and as a church, begin to pray for the lost, and begin to reach out, and live for mission, and try it together, and get ideas, and listen in prayer for strategies, and then we would go out and start reaching out, and we would begin adding to ourselves, and adding to our church. Can you imagine if we had 25%, or even 20% of those 80% get saved? Would that be something to celebrate as a church? That gets me excited even just thinking about the prospect of that. That gets me excited. You can invite someone to sell. That's a way you can reach out to others. Invite them to sell. You say, well, they're not ready for sell. Okay, you can invite them out for coffee. You can make someone a meal. You can actually befriend someone that you don't totally, totally love because you know that they need Jesus. You can have relationships that make us feel uncomfortable because it's for a higher purpose and it's not just about us feeling like we click. Yeah. You can have your kids, invite, tell your kids to invite their lost friends over to, to your house. Right? And then be intentional with your kids. Teach them how to pray for their lost friends. Teach them how to love them. How to be leaders and not be led. And they don't have to fear the lost world around them, but teach them to stand up and answer the call themselves. And then show them Jesus when they come into your home. I'm not saying you all have to do that. I'm giving you ideas. This is the cycle we've been in at Southland for many years. Giving and receiving life, right? Or receiving and giving life is actually what it is. We receive and then we give. We receive and then we give. 2013, Pastor Ray's praying, wondering why he's the best preacher on the planet and people don't seem to be doing what he's telling them to do, right? I'm not saying, I probably ad-libbed, added a little bit in there. Maybe he didn't feel like he was the best. Maybe he did, though, <laughs> right? So who knows? Make your own decision. Point is, he's praying, and he gets a picture from the Lord. It's all of us sitting in the chairs with our hands chained to the pews. And the Lord's saying, Ray, they're not bad. They're in bondage. They're stuck. They don't know how to get up and move forward. And out of that came the set-free retreat. Now, set-free is that giving or receiving when we go there? Receiving. Yeah, because we were stuck in bondage. We were down here, so we began to receive life. Then he brought in the hearing God. We learned that we can hear the voice of God. Now we, it's easy to take for granted. I mean, I'm not saying that we do, but it would be easy to. Our kids, my kids, just that's all they've ever experienced is, of course, God speaks. Well, that wasn't the reality for many of us, right? So then we learned to hear God. And what is that, giving or receiving life? Receiving. See, we were getting filled up. But Jesus wasn't done with Southland yet. Then we got the empower, and the empower was all about now you've been filled, you've been set free, but for what? You were saved for a purpose, you were saved for mission. You need the Holy Spirit now in his gifts so you can go out and complete that mission. And out of that, our church exploded and our core grew and our prayer summits grew and everything grew. We grew, our cells grew because we were in this cycle of giving and receiving life. We realized we had been given much, and to whom much is given, much is required, and we then turned around with joy, and we were reaching out to others. I think that was actually wonderful, and it's a very healthy cycle that we've been in here at Southland. And out of that was birthed this movement called Church Renewal that we we're all a part of. The leaves are on the, on the wall, and Church Renewal, we're passionate about Church Renewal. It's fulfilling the Great Commission with church leaders and churches across the nation and across the nations. It's an incredible ministry that we're a part of. But then over the last two years, we felt, and it was on the prayer on the wall on the outside, right, that we wanted to pray for deeper or greater holiness. 
Remember praying for that? We prayed for it lots of the church. We're praying for holiness. So what happened was we were in that cycle of giving and receiving. We received, it brought us up, right? We received. Now, now we got to this spot. We're praying for deeper holiness. We went through this huge, long, you know, year, year and a half. Now we're almost, actually two years now of working on sexual purity. And we've gone to a whole new level of purity and holiness within the church, haven't we? I have heard so many stories of marriages that have been restored over the last two years of men and women who have been set free from addictions who had told me, many of these people had told me that they've tried everything and nothing works. And I'm not even saying it's just the seven pillars alone. I actually think part of it was that it was for such a time as this, that God brings us on these cycles and he was saying now is the time and he used these materials and he's used them greatly here at Southland. The pure desire, the seven pillars, eight pillars, betrayal and beyond. We have gone to a whole new level of holiness and purity. But I will remind you, to whom much is given, much will be required. He does not give you freedom just for yourself. Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for for the flesh, but use it to love one another. He's saying, yes, I've given you more now. We had all those things to celebrate. I've given you great things, and I've brought you down so that you can go and give others, that you can be a blessing to the nations, but also to this community and beyond. We have a call to that. Now, quickly cover some caveats, and then I'll go on to what's the plan. What are we going to do? And uh, then I will also say, I'm not going to give you a full plan here. I think we have to listen, and some of this we have to sort through on our own. I can't tell you what to do. But I'm excited to actually bring this into cells and to bring this into our church and to actually tackle this over the next year and see how we can live for mission, how we can complete this. That excites me. And you'll see it lots. If you're part of the cell ministry, you're going to see it in the Weekly Shepherds um, because I might have a small hand in that. Dana does the writing, but I will try to influence that towards Great Commission because that's exciting. 80% had hands up. Wouldn't that be great if we can get some of those people in cells in this church, knowing Jesus, experiencing life like we experience it? I think that would be incredible. I want to celebrate that with you. So anyways, let's talk some caveats here because you can easily get imbalanced either way. First caveat, number one, receiving without giving leads to becoming a spiritual and an emotional dead sea. Receiving without giving. So if you are in a perpetual cycle where you are just, it's all about you. Now I want to pause. That sounds bad. All about me. Well, you don't understand. I'm stuck. I'm broken. My marriage fell apart. I've gone through so much. My history, there was abuse. There's addiction. I get it. I am not saying, and I'm not saying that it's never wise to stop, you know, pouring yourself out for others and to take a moment where you pause in life and you focus on getting healing. I'm not saying that's not wise. In fact, I have counseled many people in this church to do exactly that. You need to stop overextending yourself. You need to pull back and you need to work on your inside issues. I have said that, and that's wise advice. My point isn't that that's bad. My point is this. If you are in that spot for months and years and just continuing on and you are staying there waiting to get to a spot where you feel good enough to get out, that spot's not coming. That time isn't coming. You can only grow so far when you focus internally. You can only grow so far when you're focused inside. Eventually, you're going to hit a spot. So yes, you have to go through a bit of the healing just to get strong enough to walk on your own two feet. Absolutely, yes. But at some point, the next level of growth in your life is going, to, is going to be found in giving yourself to others. That's just how we're made. You can't get around that. And I've talked to many people in our church that have experienced this. I've talked to people that have been volunteering and they were stressed out, so they thought the best thing to do is just completely pull away from engagement in church, right? I'll just pull away and focus on me. Talked to an individual after the last service yesterday, and he did the same thing. And he said that whole idea of, I took a year to focus on me, 
said, everyone always says that's a good idea. And he says, that's the greatest lie I've ever heard. The driest, emptiest year of his life was the year he took a year off to focus on me. Now, again, I'm not saying it's bad. Don't hear me saying it's bad, right? I love caveats because we need a caveat. I don't want to hurt anyone's feeling. And some of you have heard me tell you to pull back and to get healing. Yes, do that. But did you know that even when you're getting healing, you can still have purpose and meaning? Maybe you don't volunteer and lead other people in that moment. But let's say, for instance, you're in a seven pillars group. Did you know that, I mean, now, I, I led one, and I was in one, and it was difficult. So anyone that's gone through the betrayal and beyond, eight pillars, seven pillars, I feel the difficulty with you. I understand what it feels like to be surprised, thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to go through this thing together, and then realize within a month that you actually took on, like, basically a course load from, from college or university. That's what it felt like. Point is, you're going there to receive healing, Right? Yes, absolutely, you're going there to receive healing. But do you know that you can also give life to the others in your group? What's stopping you from being a support for them? You know, sometimes people think, oh, I'm tired, I'm stressed, I didn't get my homework done, I'm just too overwhelmed, I can't come in, right? I don't need it today. What about coming and showing up for the other people in your group? Maybe they need you, even if you don't need them. Giving and receiving. We can always be in a cycle of giving and receiving. We can always be in a cycle of giving and receiving. I think some of us miss out because we think that I'm just here to receive. No, no, look for, look for creative ways. Ask the Lord. Say, Lord, I know I'm here for me. I know it. I need help, and I'm not healthy enough to go and lead someone formally. I get that. But Lord, I want, pray that prayer. It's a prayer that he's going to answer. But I want to partner with you on the Great Commission. I want to be a part of the exciting work of going out and making disciples. He'll answer that. He'll give you fresh ideas. For how you can be an encouragement, you can pray, you can reach out, you can go for coffee, you can call, you can be faithful, you can help someone in their homework. There's lots of things you can do. Okay, I hope you're hearing me on it. So let's talk about the other side. The other side is giving without receiving leads to burnout. Giving without receiving leads to burnout. And the most obvious thing here that leads to burnout is a lack of abiding times in Christ. But I preached on that in April or whenever I was up here last. Uh, So I'm not going to talk about that again, other than to reiterate what I said then. All of our doing should come out of our being with Jesus. So if you are doing lots in your life and you are not being with Jesus, you will burn out. It is a fact, even if you're doing good things. We were not made to do things on our own. Our power source comes from Jesus alone. That's why he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's not what I'm talking about here. I want to talk about another enemy that leads us to, to give without receiving. And I'll tell you what it is. It's called busyness and distraction. They are a huge strategy of the devil to tear down Christians and to make sure that they give more than they can receive so that they burn out and have nothing left to give. It happens all the time. Let me just... I, now, <laughs> we always, that's why I called this point a caveat. But I'll have to caveat inside my caveats so you understand that I, I understand what it's like to be busy. I've gone through busy seasons, many of them. And some of you know that, right? I've been through busy seasons. I get it. So I get stuff happens or something happened at work or there's an emergency or it's, you know, it's a seasonal job. I'm not talking about all of that. So don't hear me saying that. But hear me saying this. If you're too busy to spend time abiding with Christ, you're too busy. Period. If you are too busy to actually get alone with Jesus, you're too busy. I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know what is too busy in your life. I don't know. 
That you need to go back to Jesus, maybe with your spouse or a good friend. It's always good in these kinds of things when we struggle with seeing clearly in our own life, bring somebody else and have them help pray with you. But if you're so busy you don't have time for Jesus, then you're too busy. If you are too busy to be a part of the church or to go to church, to be active within the body of Christ, you're too busy. Again, don't hear me saying I'm in a season of busyness, but like, look what's going on. I'm not saying, I'm not talking about seasons. I am not talking about seasons. I am talking about when you find yourself in, a, in the same spot for lengths of time that seem like they have no end. I talked to a pastor just recently who was, uh, <laughs> he's in level one. I laughed. He's young. and I, yeah, I love him. He's great. He's totally on fire for Jesus. Uh, very young. Has a two-year-old and a newborn, six weeks old. So it's been, it's been great. All, I always see them online, and it's very cute. Anyhow, he's reading Pastor Ray's notes, and Pastor Ray talks about his abiding times with Christ. So he does an hour a day, half a day a week, a day a month, and then three days every three months, or I forget the, the last one, right? But that's what he does on, on alone times with Jesus, okay? Now, some of you are like, oh my goodness, I could never do that. Well, this guy in his zeal, he was trying to keep up. He's like, oh, that impacted me. I just, I want to do that. That's great. That's great advice. But he's got a two-year a two-year-old and a six-week-old baby at home. So he looked exhausted, and he's telling me, I just, I'm trying so hard, and I'm just really struggling with, keep, with, set, with keeping the bar. And I, said, okay. I said, Landon, stop. Stop. I said, that's a great bar to set, and it's okay to look at that and say, oh, yeah, 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 I want to get to a spot where I can do that. But don't approach it from legalism, and don't, like, you have to factor in you have a two-year-old and a six-week-old baby that is keeping up all night. You're not even sleeping a full night's and it's hard to wake up in the morning, and that's okay. So are you hearing me? I'm not talking about seasons. I'm talking about a, a long season that has no end. If you're too busy for Jesus, if you're too busy for being engaged in the church, you are too busy, okay? Giving without receiving leads to burnout. We have to balance giving and receiving. That actually has to happen. And uh, by the way, this whole idea too, you know, same, I, I talked about seven pillars, a spot where we can both give and receive life. It's not just for receiving. But you should be thinking the same thing with prayer summit and cell. We often think, and I, I hear this, and I've heard it from individuals, well, I just don't feel like showing up. It's not about you. It's not about you. You're made to give and receive life. Who does Jesus want you to touch? Like, you're not showing up for cell. What does that do to your cell leader? You ever thought about that? Do you realize that when you show up for your cell, you're giving life to your leader? You know that it's hard to lead, especially as a volunteer? You're like, that's making me uncomfortable. Good. Let's be uncomfortable and let's be challenged. And let's remember that it's not about us. It's not about setting up my empire here. We're not here for the best life now. We're here for the best life later. It's heaven. Now we're here to love each other. We're here to love God. We're here to reach out to others, to win as many souls as possible to the kingdom so that we can have the biggest family gathering ever when we stand before Jesus on that day. That's what we're here for. We're here setting up the best gathering that's ever going to take place in human history. So Jesus says, go and invite as many as you can find to the wedding feast. That's what you're living for. Go out. That's over there. So Pastor Chris comes up here. By the way, how many people in the West, we don't like being told what to do? We don't like being told what to do. We also don't like to feel like we need anybody else. It's very common. You know, when you talk to pastors from other areas, that's not how everyone else is in the world, okay? We think that that's just how people are. That's how Westerners are, right? I don't need others. I don't need cell. I don't need prayer summit. I don't need to be told what to do. Let me tell you something. Yes, you do. 
And so do I. And it's not a big deal. You know, I feel called to be here at Southland. Is there anyone else here that feels called to be here? Now, I know there's going to be some of you in here that are just church shopping, possibly, or you're not sure. Maybe you're just here because it's big and it's big and you're hoping that no one will notice you, okay? That's okay. But once you get to that spot where you feel this is your place, this is your church, that means this is your family. I'm called to be here. I'm called to be a member here. I'm called to serve here. Then let me tell you something. When Pastor Chris gets up and he says, we are called to be a house of prayer, you know what that means? That means each of us as individuals are called to become a part of that house of prayer. It's not a suggestion. He's telling us as our leader, this is our body we're called to. We're called to listen to him. When he says, come to the prayer summit, because that's where we're going to become a house of prayer. That's where you're going to learn how to pray. That's where you're going to pray with others. It doesn't matter if you've never prayed before, if you've prayed for, you know, a thousand years. No one can pray for that long. But, you know, you get the point, right? A little bit of exaggeration in there. The point is, when he says, come to the prayer summit because we're a house of prayer, and that's a strategy God has given us for such a time as this in this church, then we should be looking for how can I arrange my schedule and how can I organize my life in such a way that I can be at the prayer summit without feeling guilty when you can't change work. I get it. Someone gets sick. I totally get it. You've got little kids. You don't have childcare, and you're watching at home. That's the same thing. I get that. Hear what I'm saying. But the idea of, I don't need that. I don't need to pray with others. I'm not bought into that. That isn't a good reason not to come. And I can say it because I'm not him. I'm just telling you to listen to him. Sorry, Chris, for pointing you out. It's awkward, I know. Hey. Anyways, we need, to, we need this. We're gonna, like, this is what God is calling us up. Sell, prayer, summit. We are called to give and receive life. We need to be here. You know what I'm praying for? I have it in my notes. 2,000 people at a prayer summit. Can you imagine? Anyone else here want 2,000 people at a prayer summit? Is there any? There's a few? There's a whole bunch of you in here. I love that. Well, I can't wait to see it. Now, what do we do from here? 10 wait. I'm good to go. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is what it's all about. You know, many of us, we want the John, we want the John promise, don't we? I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We're like, oh yeah, that's the promise I'm holding on to. That's the one we want. Who doesn't? I want that too. Don't feel bad. This is how we get life. You want abundant life? You lay yourself down on the altar. That's how, that's how it works in the kingdom of God. You want to live? You have to die. That's how it works. That's what we're talking about. Dying to self. Dying to our own ideas and submitting ourselves underneath the authority of the church but also underneath Jesus' authority in our lives and what the word of God tells us is important. That's how we're going to find life. It may be difficult, but that is where true life is found. So what do we do once we go there for? We make disciples of all nations. That sounds great, doesn't it? Oh, who doesn't want to be a part of that? You read stories of great disciple makers over, over periods of time. We think, oh, to be that person, to go and reach out to others. And it's exciting. Of course it is. But then we don't want to do it because, well, how do you do it exactly? Right? I don't know how to disciple somebody else. Like, what does it even mean? Now go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. So what do I do? Like, I just tell them good things? I don't know. I'll tell you what's often missing, and it's this. It's the most obvious thing, but yet so many of us, including myself, often miss out within the church. We need to be discipled before we can make disciples. Now, it seems obvious, but I want to make it just plain, so it's plain sight so you understand it, okay? So if you were going to disciple someone uh, who is in an addiction, 
So you're going to disciple them. Remember, discipling is just teaching someone to do something, right? That's what discipling is. Is that clear? That's what discipling is. So now we're going to teach them to come out of addiction. So it says in the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Okay, so now they're looking at pornography. So that's, you know, ooh, 1 Corinthians says it's sexually immoral, will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Okay, well, that's, well, then I know what they need to do, right? You know what to disciple them in? You tell them to stop it, right? I know what you need. You've been looking at porn for 30 years. Stop doing that. How many people have you seen break free by being told to stop it? Someone sent me the Bob Newhart. Len Hart sent that to me yesterday. Bob Newhart, he has that video. If you've ever watched it, it's quite funny. But he counsels like that, right? He's a, he's a counselor and he's counseling. He just tells this woman to stop it repeatedly. It's quite hilarious. But the point is, it's hilarious because it doesn't work. Obviously, if you could just stop it, if you had that power in and of yourself, you would just stop it. Right? I mean, you look at it, someone struggling with alcohol and you're thinking, well, I mean, I've never struggled with that, but I just, I know how I keep from being a drunkard, and Scripture says, do not be drunk with wine. I know how I keep from being a drunkard. I don't drink too much alcohol. Pretty easy. So I know what you need to do, because you're an alcoholic. You need to stop drinking so much. I'll even give that one for free. It's free advice. And that helps nobody. You see, you have to be disciple to make disciples. You want to help someone learn something new, you have to learn the system of how to bring someone from A to B to C to D. You need strategies and tools. You need an intentional process. That is how you disciple others. It doesn't happen on accident. Same is true with people who do their devotions well. I've talked to some of those, right? And you have someone that struggles and someone that doesn't struggle. They're very just, they're very structured in their life and the next person isn't. So you say, well, how do you get a good devotional life? Well, it's easy. You just set your alarm. Like, what time do you have to go to work? Seven. Oh, that's easy. Set your alarm for five, and you have enough time for an hour with Jesus and an hour to get ready and get to work. Oh, okay, so then what do I do? Oh, Bible and prayer. It's not that hard, right? You just open your Bible, you read, you pray, journal, right? We journal here at South End. You write down some conversation, driving with the Lord, insights. Yeah, there you go. That also doesn't help people. It may be simple for you, but it's not necessarily simple for someone else. If it were, they'd probably be doing the things that they knew they should. To be a discipler, you have to know, you have to be discipled in the area that you are trying to disciple others. That is the only way you're going to be able to bring people on that journey. That's just how it works, okay? Two blind spots I'll cover very quickly, and then I'll wrap up here with our plan for moving forward. Blind spot number one on discipling others, when you're going to make disciples. You do not know what you do not know period. That's that whole addiction example. If you've never gone through an addiction, you've never had to get free from something big, don't presume to have the answer for somebody else that's struggling. What you should presume is to have kindness and compassion and, and care in your heart, right? And then there is hope, but that's the thing. Don't, you don't know what you don't know, period. We all accept that. But the other blind spot we often don't realize is a blind spot, and it's this. We're not very good at discipling people in the areas where we're naturally good at something. I have seen that again and again and again because it's those areas where you make assumptions over and over again because it's easy for you. So then you just think, well, you just do that or you just, yeah, you just quit or you just start doing this. Yeah, you just got to make that a value. Well, if it's important, you just got to do it. That's what I do. You see, the best disciplers are those who've had to learn through a process where they've had to move step by step they themselves. Those are the people that become the best disciplers. And because of that, that's how we approach discipleship here at the church. 
There's lots of different ways that we try to equip you with discipleship, and I'm going to talk about some of the tools we're going to be doing in cells in just a moment. But I'll look at just some quick things. I'm skipping forward here. You can look at that later in your own devotions. Ephesians 4, 4 to 16 talks about the hierarchical order of the church. It's basically the church's job. Jesus overall, he's given the church leadership. We have our lead pastor, Pastor Chris. He's speaking to him, giving him direction, and it's his job then with his staff team is to equip the saints. That's you guys to do the work of the ministry. Hierarchical order. Our job is to listen to those that are above us as they listen to Jesus and to make their job easier and to do that all with joy and, and unison together. And that's when it says the whole church is built up and protected from deception. That's the church that's going to stand the coming attack against her in the final days. The one that looks like that. But anyhow, set free. This is how we disciple. We become disciples. That's a lot of our workshops and, set and, and, uh, and retreats are set up in such a way that you are being discipled and learning simple tools in which you can go and make disciples. But set free, we do that. Absolutely, we do. Hearing God, empower, serving within the body or learning specific areas. Absolutely, yes. Weekend services. Although weekend services, I'll say, really combine with the next one because when Pastor Chris gets up here and he gives us a great message, what he's doing is he's pointing us in a direction. Now, the rest of our job is to do what? pull the cart, to pull the carriage in that direction. We're not just here to be fed. We're here to go out and do. He's saying, this is what the Lord is saying to us in our church. And then our response is, then let's go do this together. And we do that in large part in the cell ministry. That's probably the most practical way or place that we do it because that's where we gather together in our homes or at the church in flock cells, just the same thing. But that's where we gather together and we challenge each other and we grow that's what it's there for. Pastoral care, prayer summit, and cell. I was just skipping through there because I'm getting to the end here. Cell, though, that's where we're going to be doing this. Love God, love people, be discipled, make disciples. And last year, we, we announced that Abide Journal. Remember that? Had about 2,000 of you go through it. And this year, we're going to have more tools like that that are going to cover a whole host of different areas. Now, we're going to probably do two a year. We'll see how the Lord leads on that. Uh, over the next few years, what we're going to introduce these new tools into cells because cell is the best place for discipleship to happen because we need each other. That's where the church gathers and grows and loves each other. So we're going to do that together. Now, I know last year we had about 2,000 go through. I heard many awesome and incredible testimonies, but I also know there was a few that said, well, I don't need that. I don't need that. So I want to address that objection. I don't need that because I get it. I get, I actually find it very intrusive when, when I'm, you know, you get a, a system in your head, this is how I do it, and then someone comes and disrupts the system, it's hard to get over, right? Very hard to get over. I totally understand that. Those kind of things drive me nuts. In fact, I brought myself, I've been going through journals now for almost a full year, uh, as I've been writing new ones for different various things. I've been going through them to make sure that they work, and at first I found it very intrusive. But then I found something. I started to grow, and so did those that did it with me. But this is my point. My answer to that, I don't need that, is this. It's not about you. It's not about you. If you have such a good devotional life that you don't need it, great. God bless you. That's incredible. But if you're in a cell and other people do need it, then do it with them. Then you're in a good spot because you, need to, you, you can spend less time on being discipled. You can spend more time on making disciples. See, I don't need prayer summit. I don't need cell. I don't need these things. It's not about you. Do it for others. Do it because you love others, because others need it. And they're, they're looking for strong people that are willing to walk alongside with them and disciple them and growing in the things that are important to God's heart. Said that with a smile. Are you with me? 
We're doing the next one in, in November. I'm excited about it. Last year in October, we did that whole push on the word and memorization. Well, this one's going to be a journal like the last one, but different. Similar format, but some of the tools have changed because it doesn't have a lot of the overwhelm tools. This one's focusing entirely on how do we journal and get stuff out of the word and teaching you how to memorize. Right? So we're going to do that together as a church in cells. And if you're not in a cell, get in a cell. Join the, join the church body and become, become part of the family with us. So I'm going to end with this. The final encouragement. Because when I'm saying, behold, right, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. You weren't made for your best life now. The best promise we get in this life is that one right there in the end of verse 20. Jesus' final words on this earth. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Bow your heads with me and let me pray for you. Lord, we are so grateful for all the great things that you've done in this church and that you continue to do in this church. You have been incredibly gracious and kind to us. But we recognize that you do not give just so that we can set up heaven here on earth now. You have blessed us so that we can become a blessing to our community, a blessing in our families, a blessing in, to all the nations. So Lord, we ask that you would, over this next week, and even now, that you would begin showing us, if we're stuck in the trap of busyness, I ask that you would begin to show us what are the things that we can push to the side? What are even the good things? It's not even necessarily bad things. You're not mad at us. But Lord, is there even good things in our lives right now that are taking place of the great things that you have for us? And then Lord, for the many volunteers here, the cell leaders that are giving and giving and giving, I pray, Lord, that you would give them a fresh sense of strength internally. Those that give to your church, Lord, it's hard. It is hard to step out, to lay yourself on the altar. I pray for a fresh filling of your Holy Spirit in those individuals who are pouring themselves out for your kingdom's sake. Would you give them a renewed sense of just passion and vigor for, what the, for, for what's ahead? And for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that you would show us the creative ways in which we can engage in the Great Commission. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.